Welcome back to Screenfish Radio. I am thrilled you could join us this week as we are talking about uh, Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Uh, This week, I have a great group of guests. Uh, I am excited to have uh, Screenfisher Seyun Aloha Ake. Did I do it the right time? (laughs) Every time. Um, uh, Newcomer Daniel Eng and our friend of the show, Adam Klein. Welcome, everybody. I'm glad you could be here. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Steve. Anytime, anytime. And this is going to be a fun one for us to discuss because we are talking about, uh, as I said, we are talking about Damien Chazelle's Babylon. Babylon tells the story of decadence, depravity, and outrageous success that leads to the rise and fall of several ambitious dreamers in 1920s Hollywood. I actually, I want a better, I want a better uh, description of that because that is kind of annoyingly brief. How do I describe it? It's fairly accurate to me. <laughs> it's fairly accurate, actually. Um, so let's let's go from there. Um, as always, this podcast is rated S for spoilers, but uh, I, I cannot wait to get into this one. I would love to hear from you all what you thought of Babylon. Yeah, I thought it was really good. What more do you want to know? I don't know what else. <laughs> I did, what was that? I said, what more do you want to know? I don't know what else to say. I really liked it. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> no, I really, I really loved it. It was really good. I what feel like, like we'll get more into my thoughts when we go on. Um, I liked, I liked the themes that I saw in it, and um, I think like I've been seeing lots of people, some people online saying they think it's a bit excessive and they don't get the movie. Like, why is this movie this long and why are we watching this? But I actually think it had some really interesting themes that we can explore more as we talk. As we talk, um, yeah, that's what I like about it. Okay, great, Daniel. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a pretty unique experience watching this film. I saw it um, at my local independent theater, film.ca in Oakville, and I was the only one there. So I got to see it in theater by myself, I guess, as Chazelle obviously intended it. Um, but yeah, when I, yeah, when I walked out of the movie, you know, I, I definitely liked it a lot. Um, it was in my top 15 films of the year. And, you know, it really felt like I had seen a movie um, is the is what I really felt. Like, I don't know. You know, that's kind of what I felt like. I, I can't explain that exactly. We, we um, all saw a movie. Yeah, <laughs> I know. People Daniel, see movies. I get it. I get, I, yeah, I get but, what you're you know, saying. Yeah, it's like, like movies, right? Movies. Yeah, that's yeah, what that was. You know, you feel like you saw a movie. Um, and yeah, like the cinematography was something I really respect out of that. I always love Chazelle's work. Uh, behind the camera and the entire ensemble is great i think everyone does a great job you you had one of the best descriptions i've seen of the film actually daniel because i was reading your uh your films favorite films of the year um for for our site and he wrote uh, just just so you guys know as well he described the fablemans as the best film about hollywood this year that you could take your parents to and then he described Babylon as the best film about Hollywood this year you cannot take your parents to. And That's I great. That's great. That, was, that was amazing. That's great. <laughs> That's really appropriate. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, to build off of what Daniel said, I mean, it's, it's, it's total cinema. That's a hashtag I've been, been joking around with because of a, uh, a podcast I love. Uh, it is, this is a kitchen sink film, right? Like it's, it's everything. Um, but you know, and, and for me, like, I, I, I'll i just say, like, I am, uh, my expectations going in, I sort of had mentally prepared myself. I don't like to know a lot about a movie going in, but I knew that it was going to be excessive. I knew it was going to be debaucherous and and uh, just way over the top on purpose, like with great intention, right? Like the excessiveness is intentional. The cynicism is by design. Um I knew it. So in my mind, I sort of had like Wolf of, I, I, Wolf of Wall Street in my head of like, just prepare yourself for that level of debauchery and depravity and all that kind of thing. And if you, you know that, then at least you can even keel it, right? You can, you can filter it or process it. Um, and, and also my other expectation is just that I'm a massive D- Damien Chazelle fan. Like 
his previous three films are all five star for me um like they are just masterpieces and and so i and and this film really kind of brings those ones together there there is a sort of through line and thematic threads to his films and what he likes to do and even again like the cynicism that he brings to his narratives over and over again just from different angles um but I mean, uh, Daniel, you, you, you said you saw it in a theater with one person. I, I saw it like right away, like when it first came out. So not the, and I mean, you know, the, um, you were joking before the recording, like the downfall of the box office, right? Like, so it's not like it, it was making a lot of money and having huge attendance, but um, I, I at least saw it in the first week or two. And so there was some, there were some people in the theater with me, like 20 or so. I think most of them were older folks. So, um, and, and I don't know that they were as mentally prepared for the film as I was because, uh, a few people walked out and I was just kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. And, and then throughout the, the film, the three hours that the film is, there was lots of audible groans and sighs. And I was just like, this is a very appropriate reaction to this film. Um, because I think, I think honestly, my, I don't know if it's the best thing I can say about it. Well, it's definitely not the best thing. Cause I actually really love this film but it's a film I do not recommend to most people. Like do not, mo most people hearing this, seeing this, just don't see it. It's not going to work for you. For most audiences, uh, for most people, it's too much and it's too long, right? Like that, it, and, and the thing again, I would argue is that while Damien Chazelle, I'm sure wanted it to be profitable, he did not make a movie for everyone. He made a movie for cinephiles. Like this, Babylon is a movie for movie lovers and movie lovers only. If you know history of, of cinema, if you know the intricates of the, of the industry and the corruption and anyways, that, that's, that's who it's for. If you're, if you're just a casual moviegoer and you're like, oh, cool, a movie about the silent era with Brad Pitt, it's like, just stay home. Like, just like, just don't rent it. Like, it's not going to be your thing. Um, but for those who truly love the history and the art of cinema, um, it's going to pull our heartstrings. Like, it's, it's, it's for us. So anyways little long-winded but that was my my general reaction there i want to explore what you just said there because you said this is a movie for movie lovers mm -hmm. that is a fascinating statement because i this uh, uh first of all i i found this film fascinating i really did i i did not expect to be as interested in this as because I, I i'd heard things i saw it later on we were not the only people in the theater but um I think Shay, you covered this for us beforehand, right? So mm -hmm. I, I hadn't seen it for I didn't see it for about a month, and uh, I, I remember I so I was like I don't know what I'm gonna get. I've heard some stories, and it's it's wild, but I actually really respected it. But is it a film for movie lovers? Because this is a film that literally opens to with by taking a collective dump on the movies. <laughs> it, and I'm not even being metaphorical. That's how the film opens. <laughs> it's a, a giant blast of feces in the face. And uh, yeah, the, P, the PG version is the, the, in the first five minutes of the movie, there, there's poo and there's pee. Like, it's just like, just like <laughs> it, it's just like, if you're not, I mean, which again, like if you're not getting the metaphor or you're not, like if you don't know what you signed up for, like walk out now like that's that's like Chazelle's warning right like this is how the film begins like you're either in for the ride or you're not right but but that's my point like is this a film for movie lovers because I would argue that maybe La La Land was a film that was was more celebrating the movies and this film goes entirely the opposite way so I I, I don't know what what you all think of that it's also funny to me when you brought up the idea that this is a movie for movie lovers because, you know, as cynical as critics can be, I think most of them would call themselves movie lovers, regardless of how critical they can be. And critics didn't really like this movie that much. Um, they were definitely mixed on it. So then I personally think it's a bit of both. I think in this movie, Chazelle is very much pointing out both the times of like the beauty and like the almost like transcendent part of Hollywood that movies can create but at the same time just all the, the kind of the damage that it causes to the people working in it and you know how it can kind of 
you know, take them in and just drop them off right after and just leave them worse off. While at the same time, you know, that's also a product of what they were doing in order to, you know, the characters literally say it like, like Brad Pitt has a whole speech about, you know, we're going to print our something into something to history on celluloid, you know, and be like, we're not alone. And that's, you know, really what the film's talking about, but it's also talking about, about how much, you know, crap they have to go through to get to that. I've got the quote. I've got the quote here for you, Daniel. Actually, because uh, on a separate recording, I, I I tried to act it out for fun. But like, <laughs> Brad Brad Pitt says, we have to redefine the form, map those dreams, print them into history, so that every the everyman can look up at the flickering screen and say, "Eureka! I am not alone." And uh, it's just uh, and like again, that's very early on the film, right? Like that's that's and that's the optimism, right? Like that's that is if you want to tie it to La La Land, like it, like. That I mean, and and here's the I, I really I do appreciate you bringing up La La Land, Steve, because I also love I'm a, a big defender of that film. Some for some people it's too sugary sweet. No, no, it's like for again. I'm like who in, are there a lot of people that hate La La? Feel like there's a like, small niche. Yeah. No, in our well, at least in my circles, when it comes to film critics and like it, there's there's it's just too sugary sweet and whatever. But I would argue that that the film and most people um, who don't love it but like it or respect it is that. They, they criticized the ending of La La Land. But to me, like that's the entire thesis is that you have the shiny, glossy, optimistic, you know, because Damien has quite openly over the years just said like, like everything is singing in the rain for him. Singing in the rain is the be all end all cinema for him. And he, so in a way you can sit like, you can psychologize it, like saying like, he just keeps remaking singing in the rain, that La La Land is singing in the rain and Babylon is singing in the rain. And, and the thing that keeps La La Land to me in tight relationship with Babylon is the ending, right? Which I love because it's not a happy ending. It has all this gloss and, and optimism and hope for two hours, but then the end is starkly realistic and filled with sort of loss, right? In a sense. And, and then Babylon is the thing that carries that forward to like its ultimate extreme, right? Um, and and you're right. I mean, and, and I'll go back and just like, you know, disclaimer what I said that uh, I'm not saying that Damien was entirely successful in terms of making a movie for cinephiles for for movie lovers, but that was his only audience uh, in my mind. Like the film, yeah, the film is divisive. The the critics are sort of split fifty fifty on the reactions to it. Um, but like I, I I would argue and 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 I'm, plenty can say I'm wrong and I might be wrong, but just like I don't I just it's hard for me to imagine people outside the movie loving world like getting it, like appreciating it for what it's trying to be. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, I feel like I'm sorry. I feel like he, um I know like I think he was very much just painting, like, you know, that it is what it is kind of thing. Like Hollywood is this machine and this is what goes on within it. And I feel like that kind of thing of like the optimism and then like the reality, that's just how life is. And I feel like even like filmmaking, like you start off with like, oh, I have this big dream. And like, I watch films and they make me feel a certain way. So now I want to go do that. And I know that's like, that was my experience. It's like, you're very like young and like bright eyed. And then you start like the actual work and then you see that, oh, life isn't, life isn't like the movie that I'm seeing or the movie that I want to make. And even the process of making this film is very messy, but then the film is like something so perfect and that's just how it is. And I think that's what Babylon also just presents. Like this is this like really glamorous side of things. And then at the same time, here's this messy thing that exists within the glamour. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I like, I, I see, I like what you're saying there, Shay, because I think that this is, there. there is an optimism in many of the characters in this film, but it is, as the film progresses, it is quickly undercut, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I hear the comparisons, Adam, to like singing in the rain. 
Um, and, and structurally it, it sort of follows that, but it's in some way it, to me, it is so much like the anti singing in the rain, like the, the singing in the rain, the whole point of the cinema, like, well, see, I mean, this, this was something I wanted to talk about. I would love to hear from you both because the end of the film and we can, and we do spoilers here, but the, the final scene of the film has Manny sitting in there watching singing in the rain on screen. That's what he's watching. Uh, and he starts to cry. Uh, you know, not, not not dramatically. He's been through this incredible journey, and he starts to tear up. And I'm just wondering from you, from from you all, why you think that is? Because I know that Chazelle likes to have you sit at the end of a film and go, "I'm not sure what you meant by that." Um, the the same thing happened in Whiplash, La La Land to a lesser extent. I. I Adam, I don't know what you're, I, I can't even say that first, first man was fine, but I can't say it was a five-star film, but well, I mean, but it, like, it ends in the same, in, in an ambiguous way. I, with a bit it of does. An, an emotional, an emotional cliffhanger, like a lack of resolve. You're right. Yeah. He does. He so, so I would agree with, I, I agree with that though. In each of his films, he sort of, he likes to end that way. So, so I'm just want to hear your opinion. And what do you think of, of this finale of, of these, of him sitting in a theater with people who are, are cheering and 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 he's he's got tears coming down his cheek what what does that mean to you so i'll just i'll just finish my my earlier thought to say that it's two sides of the same coin where la la land is excessive in optimism and hope and ends on a sad note ba babylon is excessive sadness that ends on a hope mm. a note of hope right because that the, the, i mean because damien's obsession with film is is philosophical it's existential right it's it's human nature and and we can theologize it in terms of our broken nature and yet we are still um we still hold the the potential for divine beauty and creativity that in spite of our brokenness depravity and sinfulness uh, we are we are still made in the image of a beautiful god and have the abilities to to co-create incredible and beautiful things and that's, you know, again, we don't have to keep the comparison to La La Land, but to me, that's that's the conversation that he's creating between these two films, is that we can look at ourselves and life itself and art itself as as almost entirely beautiful and hopeful, uh, but then pause for the reality that life is not fair. Um, or we can start with the darkness um and the excessiveness and the depravity and then we have to pause and cannot deny the fact that there is still hope and beauty available to us and that's where i i connect you know with manny there for sure what about what about the rest of you i think i mean so actually one of the things i was curious about because they released the screenplay for this. And as a screenwriting student, I thought I'd check it out because I was very interested in how he was writing this ending. And it does give a little more insight into exactly what Chazelle is like intending for it. But it's a little bit different from what is in the actual film. For one, it doesn't mention the big montage at the end. Um, oh, yeah. At all. It doesn't right. mention that. That yeah. was, I guess, an idea they had either in the editing room or while making the movie. But initially starts out with Manny recognizing himself and um, Margot Robbie's character Nelly in like the movie that he's watching um and then it has the like the crowd laughing at some like a line she says and so he becomes mad at the idea that they're all laughing at all this work all all the literally their life literally also like Nelly's life like literally put her entire life into the movie and yet people are like laughing at it but then and like and so he becomes upset he that's when it says he begins to cry but then he also realizes that they're enjoying the movie even if it's not what he intended they're like enjoying the movie and then like he starts to become happy about that and like i think that's what he kind of realizes while watching singing in the rain is like he's realizing that he himself can also be like an audience member and like we can all join in together and delight in like a movie and obviously for Chazelle that that ultimate epitome of that is singing in the rain and so then they're all watching that and he's just 
that's when he starts to feel more of that joy and that hope and that optimism. And I feel like that's probably the same for Giselle. And like, he knows that Hollywood is not a great place all the time, but then he can watch something like singing in the rain or feels like he can watch other great movies and be like, okay, there's, you know, there's a kind of a reason that they make movies in a industry that still can be fraught with, you know, debauchery and things that obviously don't treat people that well. That's, that's so interesting. That's so interesting to me. Shay, what, what do you think? I find it interesting because when I saw the film, unless I'm forgetting, but when I saw the film, I thought Manny's scene at the end was just sadness. Like I thought he was crying because he, he was watching the film. I was like, oh, I used to be, you know, like you're, you're mourning, like your younger years kind of thing. Like I used to be part of this and now I am no longer. That's what I thought he was, was going through his mind when he was watching it. Um, yeah, so I thought he was just kind of mourning like the fact that he's no longer a part of this this machine that was weird and messy, but also that I think he he loved in the first place and that's why he did it. But also listening to people talk now, I'm like, oh, that makes sense too. That he's started up there and then gone to the thing of, oh, but wait, there is still something beautiful. And even the idea of he can now like surrender himself to the process, which is one of the things for me that stuck out is like, I want to be this person in Hollywood, but then at the end of the day, if I am no more, if no one ever remembers me, but the machine keeps going, then have I contributed something worthwhile? And am I okay with being in the background or fading away and that thing going on without me? So, yeah. I I, I actually really love that too because you know because because you're right. You're I don't think you're I think you're right. Like that there was a sadness for him as well. You know because because grief grief can be a beautiful thing, right? This the sense of loss of his younger years and what he was a part of and being away from it for so long and having lost those friends and those relationships. Um, and because he loses the love, right. At, at what he thought was the love of his life, you know, he, he loses her to the industry and to, uh, to that way of life, that debauchery and addiction. Um, but um, I, I, you, you keep mentioning um, the machine and I really appreciate that because um the, the, the that's that's another huge uh element that um stuck out to me and, and lingered with me is this the way that it tells the story right like like singing in the rain it tells the story of going from the silent era to the sound era um and the way that the industry changed and the way on all the lives that were lost or disregarded along the way um and of course that's like I, I hope I'm not stepping your your toes, Steve, but like that's where like the whole, you know, Babylon metaphor comes from, like the, the fall of an empire, right? The the corruption and the collapse of an empire, and that, you know, the, the biblical analogy of Babylon, and just the fact that, um, you know, that human history has just been empires of Babylon set on repeat, you know, rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall, and Hollywood is no different, um, because you have this machine of art being made and being um, corrupted and colluded with capitalism, right? And so, you know, the, the film the film starts with this mayhem and that even when we get away from that opening 30 minutes of, of an orgy and we actually finally get on set, right? Manny finally gets to visit a Hollywood set for the first time. It's still just as much mayhem and madness and people are dying and like there's no unions, there's no safety, there's no protocol. It's just absolute utter beautiful chaos. Um, and 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 then that madness that produced so much, it then enter the sound era, then suddenly it becomes mainstream and money starts to become involved. And 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 like for me, the whole the cru the, the main crux of the film all like um it seesaws on that opening orgy to the uh the high class party that margot robbie's ca character can't you know can't pretend to be in and she ends up vomiting everywhere right like the, it's the juxtaposition of those two parties and the change in culture the change in the machine and all those kinds of things right and uh that's that and again and it's not like it stopped there right it happens today damien's living through that now because it's just a cycle of, of constant of capitalism and, and creativity and, and 
you know, the, the negative and the positive influences of that, of those Babylons, right? I, you know what, and this is a bit of a side note, but I, I know this isn't what your thrust, the, the thrust of your argument was there, but I realize I haven't said this yet. Can we all agree that Margot Robbie can do anything? Uh, <laughs> she's phenomenal. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I honestly have, you know, forgive me for, for saying it in this way, but, but I, when she first came on, I thought she was going to be another pretty face, but she is so insanely talented. Like she can do anything. Uh, we've seen her do all sorts of different roles. And I mean, she, she brings this character to life uh from start to finish i mean i i don't want to take anything away from diego calva because because manny's a great character too but uh margo is just she is the stereotypical dreams in her eyes starlet who by the end has been so broken by this system um that it's just it, you know it, it's heart-wrenching but she's just so good she's so good um yeah, I, you know, it, I find I find Manny's relationship to film in this in this film, to to cinema in this film, so fascinating because by the end he's been through so much, and see I I saw it kind of like you did Shay where where he's brought his burdens into the theater, but there's this interesting shift that happens. And I and I skew just as much to the celebration of beauty. It's almost it's almost like I I don't think he would say it was worth it, but I think he would say that there's something good that's happening here. But he's also been through all the things that aren't good. You know, he's seen he's been literally four floors down to see Toby Maguire pay a man to eat a mouse. Um or whatever it was, a rat, whatever that he, he's he's seen the worst parts of it, um, and and then he's and then he he sees the product, but nobody else in the theater knows what he knows. Nobody else knows the story. Uh, it's such a fascinating moment to me. It, well, it's true. I mean, it is like it's also. I I really appreciate you both bringing this up because it it is also this act of you know like I I couldn't help but get swept up in what that final those final moments were doing for me, in in contrast to the the journey. But in terms of Diego's character, right? Like it it is this act of reconciliation, right? It is because it's his first time back to L.A., right? Since since he left and he left the love of his life behind, right? And so it is this one, his, this first time back, his first time encountering all of this, right? Like even just the, the juxtaposition of like his first day on set, seeing like the, just the timber frame of the, of the entrance to the movie studio, to the, his return, you know, all those years later to an actual proper movie studio entrance. Like, you know, so yeah, it, it is very much, right? He's overwhelmed because it's just this reconciling act with his past, right? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about this Babylon metaphor too. I know, uh, Adam, you, you did a great job in of introducing it here. Um, I I, I kind of love that this film is called Babylon, if that makes any sense. Because uh, first of all, it's not a it's not a term we use in everyday passing. Like it's just like there there's meaning in that metaphor, obviously uh you know i see it and we i mean anybody anybody in the church sees sees the application of the term babylon um but i'm just wondering for for you all you know when we talk about when we talk about babylon itself in this film um what what do you think the fatal flaw of babylon is here what is what is driving it towards a fall or or does it does it have a fall because again at the end we it doesn't really seem to collapse on itself but i i'm just wondering about about what you think of that what the fatal flaw is of of babylon in this in this film
I think it's the excessiveness. And I would say that maybe the way the film portrays it even at that time, the way Hollywood is operating, there didn't seem to be as many checks and balances as there would be maybe even now. Um, and so it seemed like this thing where it was like people thought, oh, this is a fun space and we get to be creative and it's not like a regular job, you know, it's like this idea of like fun and then we have all this access to all these things that we didn't have access to before. And so any person could just go overboard with it. And I think that's like when that just continues over and over again, that's what can lead to the fall of Babylon. And I would say that like, because Hollywood does still exist, but the way Babylon existed back then is not the way it exists now. So in a sense, I would say it did kind of fall or like change to survive if you know what I mean so even like Nelly if you as when she's a star she goes back to these parties and everyone's different everyone's more put together and more like poised that even seems like a kind of like refinement of what she started off in and I think again even now with all the scandals that come in Hollywood we have more things protecting people that are working or different things like that to create a safer or more stable I think environment than what it was originally does that make sense yeah I actually I I think that's interesting you said that because that was going to be my my response when you said you think it's different now because maybe in the last five years we've seen some change but I think we've also seen in the last five years that maybe it's not so different now or Again, the, what I find fascinating about Babylon in this movie is that so much of it is, by the end of it, so much of it du is dug underground. Not, well, both literally and figuratively. Um, in fact, it's, it's the moral police that drive it under there, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Um, because the things, I, the, the, the things they were doing before in the silent film era, I think they even describe it because Margot Robbie, uh, she she shows her breast or something like that. I if I remember, yeah, that was that. And and then they they said what you were doing before was pornographic, and I remember them using that and going, oh okay, and and they wanted this new sort of you know pristine look, but everything was still there. I I don't know. It's interesting. Daniel, Adam, what do you think? Well, I mean, I, I just, I, I would agree, like just this sense of, again, like the, the cyclical nature of it all. Like we've, even in our lifetime, we've lived through a, a rise and fall of sorts. And that even when the money got involved and things became mainstream and more widely accepted, you know, the, the part of that, that sort of a high society scene, right, is, is also showing that um, the human nature and depravity is still there just below the surface, right? It's still, it's still present. It's just more polished. Right. And um, because that was, that's, that's the, that was the rise and fall of, of, of it in a lot of ways at, at that time was the sense that in the midst of the chaos and the mayhem of the silent era, it was this miraculous safe haven for um for 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 those for social for those on the on the on the fringe of society, right? Like that like there's incredible diverse representation um, in the first hour of the film during the silent era. Um, you know, on on, on screen, uh, we see a female director and the collective uh, agency of of different sexual orientations and identities being represented there. And and I've even heard Damien in a recent interview say that like. As the film progresses, uh, and 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 the camera pans across different crowd scenes, there's an intentional design of less and less diversity. Like the, the first hour begins with excessive diversity and wide representation because that's what the silent era of Hollywood was. And then as things became more mainstream and money became more involved, and as you said, like the moral code, quote unquote, things became more homogenous. And he said that that was the visual design of the picture as it progresses to become more and more homogenous, right? And because as soon as money and mainstream and moral code and all these things got involved, then all of these 
these uh, these people on on the fringe of society or diversity itself became began to be pushed out. And then we have that, of course, that horrible, heartbreaking scene um, with uh, the trumpet player. I'm forgetting the actor's name, um, but uh, you know this, this this incredibly painful scene where he has to put makeup on himself in order because of the the, the arrangement, because of the lighting, and all of these things. Um, you know, that's where the film really takes a really that's where it really takes a hard turn. And, and maybe that doesn't work for everybody, but it was deeply impactful for me. Um, and that turn with Brad Pitt's character realizing that he had been lost to the system, to this new the, the new direction the machine was going right. But there is, in you know, in spite of or in the midst of you know again the excessiveness, the debauch, the debauchery, and the depravity, there was this acceptance, there was this this freedom and of of a world of misfits um that was then lost and rejected and in a, in, a, in, a, in a slightly different way but in the same ways in a very similar ways in our lifetime the last couple of decades we've kind of lived through that again where we've we've seen in the industry and in the machine of hollywood we move from a homogenous uh collection of storytellers and screen representation to something becoming far more diverse and more true to reality in our society right Yeah. Um, and I like that's definitely something I noticed throughout the film, because, yeah, you see like someone like Mario Robbie, who's maybe, you know, like from a very small town, destitute, like sort of hillbilly white trash, you might even say kind of area of like, I don't know, New Jersey or something. I think that's where they say your character's from coming to Hollywood and then like being accepted in this like place where, again, yeah, there's no rules, there's rowdiness, you know, and yeah. And then Manny. And um, Lee John Lee's character, who I, Lady Hey, maybe? That's her name. I'm trying to remember what her name is. Um, but are like all, yeah, all like bigger parts of the movie. And then, yeah, it does take that shift where, yeah, especially in that party scene, like they're all the same people. And like, I think one of the big things about this film is that there's not really any particularly good people, or at least they all definitely make very morally questionable choices um like you know manny literally our main character like manny the guy we've been following the whole time is the one who gives um that character the trumpet player the blackface and basically almost insist like you know it's, it's part of the system but he's the one who basically insists that he has to wear it in order to you know have basically have them all look the same because it, otherwise it would make him basically too distinctive from the rest of the band that's playing in that scene um and that kind of happens within the rest of the movie. Like there, you know, I was looking through a little bit of some of the ideas around Babylon and there's like this idea, I don't know if Damien was going for this, but in Rastafarian culture, it's the idea that Babylon's like a materialistic capital where, you know, there's the exploitation of oppressed people um, around the world. And also it's specifically people of African descent. And we definitely see that in that scene in particular. Um, but then all yeah you kind of that's basically all i'd say lost my train of thought uh i like what, just... what you what you guys sorry go, for, go sorry ahead. see i just i do find it interesting sometimes i think about this sometimes but then with the film as well um how you know that people want to be celebrities they want to be actors or singers or whatever they want to be on stage because it gives some sort of um, like power or a semblance of power but then you think about it sometimes and you're like the people with the power really are the people who are paying you to be there or, or watching you because you almost have to do whatever they say to, if you want to keep eating if this is what gives you money and sustains you um, so that's something that's interesting in the film as well I think of like like Nelly's like I'm a star but then getting lost in the system it's like being a slave to other people and what other people want you to be and then again when that tone shifts and then more the people with money are the people who are now more poisoned or fine now you have to be that and you have to hide these things if they offend their sensibilities and things like that so that's something i think is interesting as well yeah i i like what you're saying there because the idea of where the power lies is, is sort of pops in and out of this, this film along the way. 
because it really starts with it really starts with the money and you see when Margot first comes in they're like okay try this now do this now do this thing uh oh, oh oh you have to do it this way and you have to do it this way um and, and just to get in the door but the in this diversity angle you guys are bringing up as well i think is fascinating within the film um because again once that when when power takes over that's one of the first things to go is it, you know it it becomes more of a machine than it was before, when it was originally um and that that scene where they're filming the the movie in the desert to op- like one of the opening where they're making the first film in the desert all those little things is fantastic i love that it's just utter chaos you know and you just the you know people are getting injured on set left right and center um but but everybody's like oh this is this is like it it it's but they're they seem to be there because they want to be part of this but then they're there and it's not what they thought like like you were saying uh shay as well it's it's such a fascinating tension that's held throughout this film um you, you know whose character i actually uh i really i really enjoy watching his journey is is jack conrad's brad pitt's character because I feel like he's one of the characters that recognizes the power of the medium. And so few of them actually realize that until maybe the end of the film or something. Most of them are just doing it for the money and he's doing it for the money. Like, let's be serious. He's doing it for the money and the fame and the power. He's not a, he's not a good character, but he wants to do more than just make just tell stories he wants to tell stories that help shape people uh but no one's listening to him no one's listening to him you know and and mind you partially because he's he's a drunk and a womanizer and nobody really cares what he has to say um but by the end of the film when he when he eventually shoots himself in the bathroom he's just he's just done he's just done fighting for this thing It's, it's it's changed too much he's lost his place um the way things were doesn't work in his world anymore mm. um and he does he, the the there are so many puzzle pieces that fit at the beginning of the movie that do not fit at the end of the movie in the first 90 minutes right like he he's taking it for or the first hour he's ta- he's taking his craft for granted right and and uh he, like you said the money and the fame and all that stuff but then you know there's that that really pivotal scene with his his uh broadway actress wife his like third or fourth wife at that point but um his his broadway actress wife who who's who's like giving him notes and 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 trying to um uh, in her mind make him a more legitimate actor but he he's uh resistant to it right because he said because he's she's trying to defend the fact and he's also kind of discovering at the same time what he really cares and, and invests in this. Like we, we finally see him in the last hour really care about um, how it comes off on screen. And, and again, part of it has to do with the sound because um, he has this sort of devastating moment where he peeks into a movie theater and, and because of his audible delivery of lines, um, you know, the audience laughs and so they don't get it. And so he's wrestling with what it is he can do and what his strengths, where his strengths do lie um and 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 you know and it's heartbreaking and but it's also fascinating to see him because you know you you keep pointing out that like these aren't like good admirable people and they're not right like these are these people who make a lot of bad bad immoral choices and i think what's to me what's incredibly powerful about the film is that in spite of all of that by the end for most of us at least uh, because of that journey um maybe we don't maybe we don't empathize but we at the very least can understand them right we can at least sympathize with them and the decisions they've made and where it's brought them and what they've lost and what they had had hoped for um we can at least understand them and and see them see them for their humanity beyond the excesses right um and uh and also, I just to say, like we because we we um we keep coming around, kind of around it, but we don't talk like just the uh, 
I just have to celebrate like the, the big set pieces, like you mentioned, you know, in that first at the first hour mark, you've got the the silent film, uh, Hollywood studio, all these outdoor sets, like a dozen outdoor sets all going at once because there's it because there's no sound. So it's just visuals and it's just sunlight. That's their light. And there's a there's 12 different movies being filmed at once. And it's just mayhem and cat. And, and but it's magical. Like it's just it's it's hilarious. We also haven't mentioned how funny this movie can be. Um, and then, of course, to me, like there's like the pinnacle um, scene at like the hour and a half mark or or somewhere in there with, with the with Margot Robbie's character filming her first sound in in studio sound scene and just off off the rails like madness. And um, but it's so funny and so well done and and shockingly accurate to the his, the history of it. Right. Um, like, like people were just dying left and right on sets. For, for very different reasons um but like that that soundstage scene is just i could watch that over and over and over that thing is magical and insane um and then of course you know some of the ending scenes we've talked about already emotionally right but uh there's just massive like really memorable like i i, I think the first time i saw the film um i came out of it and i was just like i don't know what to rate this film because the highs are so high they're so high um, and then there's all the excessive stuff that you just like, I don't know if I want to sit through that again. I don't know if I want to recommend that to anybody, but like, again, for movie lovers, like the highs are so high, the history of it, the magic of it, the mayhem. Um, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. That scene where the guys in the sound booth and falls out is just, I, I felt so bad for that guy that whole time. It's like, no, I need to get out of here. Oh, he's dead. It's like, oh no. I kind of wanted to hop back on the the power idea of this film because I think it's pretty interesting because I really think Chazelle's almost victimizing himself here because I really feel like in almost every scene the thesis is the people in the industry do not have the power and that goes for even like the most mm. powerful of them like Jack Conrad especially at the beginning is kind of portrayed as the most powerful like you know like the thing he said like you know before i came here the signs on all the doors said no dogs or actors allowed i changed that and it almost feels like when he's going like realizing he took his craft for granted he's like he's almost realizing i think he was in the wrong position almost as an actor and especially by the silent era he feels like he probably thinks he should have been more of a producer which is still a little bit closer to what he's probably wanting to but I think especially in that party scene, that's when it really emphasizes that the people who have the power of the executives, like these rich, just obscenely rich people who are the ones like funding this whole thing. And then when they're the ones who have the money, they institute the whole thing that now there's no more debauchery. There's no none of that nonsense. None of the they cut off that fun and that thrill, even though I think especially for Manny and um Ellie's characters that that's what they're chasing the entire time I think that's what all these characters are chasing throughout most of the film is just that thrill of those mm -hmm. like those single moments like that one moment the moment after that when they finally get that scene in the sound stage after so many takes and so many mis like mishaps only for one of them to die um you know undercutting any like any sense of like staying power mm -hmm. of that you know ecstasy of that thrill and you know just the whole beginning with Manny and Ellie just like witnessing just all this like like yeah like the ecstasy of just witnessing all that's going on at this party and just the insanity of it um again only for someone to you know again Damien just cuts it down and says well it's you know showing that someone died because of this like insanity um but also showing that that happens even when you like normalize it, then, you know, underground mafia people are where the fun stuff is at and people are getting screwed by that anyways, um, including industry people who end up becoming in debt to them. So, but then another interesting argument it kind of makes by the end of the film is that maybe also what makes cinema special is that even though all the people working in it are victimized, they, when they step back and kind of become the viewer, they also kind of get the power. He kind of gets that at the end when he becomes a moviegoer again. That's part, I think, of the emotion that he has while watching the movie. And also when, but also it shows that the audience has the power when Jack Conrad goes into that theater and sees all of the people laughing at his, you know, 
not so great voice performance because he realizes man these you know these are the people who i want to like impress upon these are people i want to shape and they're just laughing at me i was trying to make them emotional and they're just thinking it's a joke but you know it, and then it, he feels like so disregarded for all the stuff that he's been through to try to get to that moment to try to you know fit in to this new hollywood only just to get completely cut down by the people watching it and i think unlike manny who kind of becomes a viewer at the end he can't sit back and be a viewer again and he's also not going to be able to raise himself up to be the one really in charge that's i think why he kills himself because he can't he can't step be the one step back and i think it's the same kind of goes for nelly she thrived so much on the thrill and the ecstasy of these parties of the filmmaking of like being a big star that when all that like goes away and is threatened she just can't handle that she also can't be go she can't go back to what she had before she can't go and uh can't go back to that and while it also i think manny kind of wants to escape that as well like he mentions how he doesn't like you know his family still lives in los angeles but never goes back he doesn't want to speak spanish he does he changes his name to manny instead of manuel to kind of almost disconnect him from like his roots but then he's almost forced to go back to that because he ends up marrying a woman who speaks spanish and like had and like has almost maybe the normal domestic family idea that his own parents had um but he's able to kind of live with that even despite all the kind of the glory and the love he thought he was chasing hmm. i feel like that's a good point because jack conrad to me he seemed like you know there's people who would say like oh i'm an artist i love creating but then it's like do you really like creating or do you just want to be the person in front like when people looking at you that's kind of what jack conrad seemed like to me because if i think if he was really that invested in being part of something bigger and creating something meaningful again it's the idea of then are you okay with actually stepping back and letting the thing be or do you have to be the one doing it like do you have to be the one everyone's looking at doing it and i saw somewhere someone wrote that um it's about these people who couldn't let the sun set on their careers like they were not okay with that like i know i have to be in here still i have to be the front man still and that's where his i think his own problem really was um and what ultimately led him i don't i think down the path he was at uh, yeah, I, I I think that's an interesting interesting way to 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 think about it because I I think things changed in a way that that I don't know. Well, I, this is what I mean. It's such a fascinating way to to look at this because again, the the quote unquote moral police in this in this film were killing the fun, but it also changed other things that weren't like you said the like we talked about before the diversity was shoved out the window all these things that there there were some good things that that were changed in the midst of these changing times but things were it's it's i i agree with what you're saying though i think jack was a character that could not let go of the way things were and his place within it and he couldn't grasp the fact that, like you said, passing, like passing over. I think that's, I think that's true. Um, we, we we're running out of time. We should get close to screen it or skip it. But before we screen it or skip it this time, I want to ask you all one quick question. Is this a hopeful film? <laughs> I'll just, I'll just give the answer I gave much earlier which is i just think damien chazelle has makes the same thesis over and over at this point which is that yes you you just can't deny the hopefulness of humanity's propensity to create beauty and art right and that in spite of ourselves um it's it's um that is that is a reason to to carry on and, and have the hope for that in that way I think it's hopeful depending on who it is either hopeful or not depending on who's watching it because that's what I, at the end of the thing i wrote for screenfish i wrote um it's what i something about how all of this means nothing and yet everything i think to some people it's like well what's the point like they're just films do you really want to go through all this 
And then for some people, it's like, oh, but look at what can come out of all this chaos. And it just depends on who you are, really, I think, and how much meaning you see in cinema and art and things like that. Yeah, I think for the most part, I would agree with that because, like, sticking with my what I kind of think this film was about is that, like, mm-hmm. I think he's debating whether it's worth it for industry people to do that, to like to be involved in the industry and actually make movies and go through all of that. But I think he very much thinks that, you know, as audience members, we should be like, you know, especially with that last montage, really appreciating all that film can do. But again, if film doesn't matter too much to you and you look, look at all the things that are happening in the industry, you'd be like, why, why do we even do this? You know, let's just scrap the whole thing. If you're a person who doesn't really care that much about movies and you're witnessing all the people who make movies going through all of this, you know, all this death and, you know, all just the terrible things that happened to them in this movie. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I think Chazelle overall is a believer in the movie and believes that also a lot of other people are um and therefore will see this as a hopeful movie that you know maybe you know it is worth it in some ways to go through all the things that hollywood and movie making do to a person and to you know a whole industry a whole idea of a place like hollywood or in this case i guess babylon as an idea in that well that's another i wanted to quickly point out that um Babylon can also refer to like the Tower of Babel and there's the idea of the tower that it took a year for a brick to be put at the top of the tower so when a brick fell everyone would cry because it would take a year to replace but then no one would cry at the death of a person mm-hmm. which I think is kind of representative of this film because no one really like mourns that much of each person dying especially you know the people who we have no idea in the film the characters don't have any idea you know, Jack Conrad gets a little emotional when his, like, producing buddy kills himself, but then he kind of eventually gets over and tries to, like, move on. But at the same time, you know, there is something, you know, clearly everyone's still working for this thing because it seems so glorious. It's this whole, you know, in for the Tower of Babel idea, it's this amazing tower that's going to reach the heavens. And it's kind of the same for film. It's going to, you know, make, so- it's going to create something that's going to make people have feelings and like emotions that they never would have otherwise and maybe even you know experience something beyond what they think is possible in storytelling i love that illustration daniel that is that is a great illustration right there because i think this is a very hopeful film for the power of art don't think it's a very hopeful film for uh humanity (laughs) i think but I'm not sure about that. But I feel like this film exposes so many frailties in the human spirit that that helps bring these things to create. But I think you 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 hit it on the head with that analogy there. I think that's absolutely it. I mean, you know, it's great when you can lay a brick like that. Uh, but but how many bodies did it take to get there along the way? And and what's I but. I, I, you know, it's, it's, this is what I mean. This film to me is a fascinating one, a fascinating piece because there are a lot of questions and not a lot of answers in some ways. Uh, But it's also, it it feels like there are, but I think that there's, there's not. So with that in mind, my dog is barking. With that in mind, let's screen it or skip it. Babylon, screen it or skip it. Or stream it. Like, maybe it's not in theater. What do, what do you think? It so depends on who I'm talking to. Um, I'd say screen it. I think I know <laughs> enough people who will just be entertained throughout it all. I know I think there's a, you know, a good amount of people, as Adam pointed out, that will just like be done by at some point because it seems so long, but I was entertained the whole time and I can imagine other people doing that too. And by the end, you might get something out of it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm gonna screen it. <laughs> I don't know about you, you know, <laughs> like you say, whoever might be watching, <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like screen it definitely. And on big, as big of a screen as possible, 
but with a disclaimer, right? Like it, it really, every, it, I mean, and it's not even like a people of faith or moral code. It's just like, it's just, it's everything, right? It's kitchen sink. It's, it's so excessive. That's like, you have to be able to, to tolerate or, and, and see through it. Right. And so absolutely screen it, but with a little disclaimer for in terms of types of audiences. Right. I, I agree with that. Let's screen it. If you can take it. That's <laughs> or or just just leave it at what Daniel wrote. I love what Daniel wrote, right? Fablemans in Babylon. See it with your parents, don't see it with your parents, right? Like just <laughs> that was I, I, I like the fact that Che just said if you can take it, you can scream. <laughs> That's right. If you can take it, absolutely. I mean, Perfect. What are you weak? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it makes it sound like kidding in a buck. <laughs> Dave's just also going to hit you with so much cinema that you might have to tap out, <laughs> and also yep. hit you with the crap from the elephant in the. You know, he he goes for you hard. He doesn't he doesn't let up. Very true. That is a lot of elephant poop that happens in that uh, that opening scene, and that's but th therein lies the 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 challenge of this film is that. It, it is it is only hard to recommend because it is it is so excessive and overwhelming but it is so well done yeah. it is so well done it is like the music is excellent the performances are great it it it's its runtime is as excessive as its visuals yep. i'm not gonna lie yep. i think i don't know if that's intentional or not but it certainly felt it um but it it's it's not a bad film. It's just, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so, so maybe it's a, maybe it's a stream it, you know, it's, I, I, I hate to say it because maybe it is, and it's just a little easier to take. I don't know, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I this is what I honestly don't know how to stream answer. the music. I would say that's what I've been doing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I was streaming I, the music for sure. I, I, can't believe, I don't know how we got through this whole thing without mentioning the soundtrack. It's excellent. Well, um, and I can't, I appreciate it because I was also like, I, I never even mentioned the music when I was talking about La La Land, right? Like, because like they, they, Justin Hurwitz, he literally took a motif from the La La Land score and put it in Babylon. There's a La La Land motif that goes like literally pairing the films together musically, right? Um, it's, it's, it, yeah, the score is incredible. My dog is signing off for we, us. So, Steve, for the record, we we say stream the score. We definitely we definitely stream the score. Stream yes. the score for sure. So just forget the film and listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> Don't forget the film. Maybe but. like you know, especially if you're someone who doesn't think they can take it. Stream you know, stream the music. Yeah. If you're weak, you'll get. I I look forward to watching the the cable version like in ten years. You know, the the edited down version. You know, like they they have the cable version on of an Pulp airplane. Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they have the cable version of Pulp Fiction. I was like, why am I like this? Is like they ruined the movie, right? Like just like yeah. Anyways, <laughs> on an airplane, this movie will be forty five minutes long, and it'll just be called Baby. Yeah. <laughs> it'll just be the Margot Robbie scene in the sound stage over and over again. Over That's and over. right. That's worth watching. Um, <laughs> the this has been so much fun thank you so much to you all i appreciate it um the, man my my dog is really trying to wrap this up for me so i'm going to fly through this uh thank you thank you all so much for your time and for you at home a reminder you can find us wherever podcasts are available uh and if you go to the podcast page on screenfish.net you can download fishing more with your small group questions to help you get the conversation started if you sit through it if you can take babylon if you can take it uh, <laughs> uh and also you can like and subscribe to us on youtube search just search up screenfish and you'll find us on our channel there if you haven't already uh but thank you all so much for your time and for you at home we started the conversation this was screenfish